1: Hello, welcome Disaster Divas to all of you out there who this is your first episode or perhaps second after really our blockbuster affair Mm. with San Andreas. It is I, Jordan Cruciola. I'm Amanda Smith. And we are so lucky to have a guest for a second week in a row. Ah, We tricked Um, another one. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what movie we'll be talking about today.
2: My name's Joey Bean Khan. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm a Joey writer. is an
1: excellent freelance writer I will say He if was he's, just going to say what he does But I don't think he was going to put the correct qualifier of excellent before <laughs> That's it That's fair That's why Jordan's okay, fine. So I yeah. wanted to really <laughs> set him up correctly Okay
2: but I, this is a hell of a week to come on. That was an intimidating guest to follow. Oh, my God. Fair, fair. So, I'm not uh, a geophysicist, I'm sorry to say. Joey, uh, I
0: understand you're a fertility specialist and <laughs> <laughs> emergency management operator. That's,
2: it's such a coincidence. Uh, this week, I picked children of men.
3: Yes. Yeah. And
2: I am not quite... As much of an expert, but I did listen to the daily this morning okay. about the coronavirus, so I feel prepared. Yep. Okay, I'm yep. freaked out as hell, yep. and this feels far too relevant. This is yeah. actually
1: it, it, now I realize this was it's so it's such perfect timing that you are on and and chose this movie in the midst of we are on the precipice of coronavirus in the United States. Uh, with uh, Jesus has been left to take the wheel, I believe, with Mike Pence in charge of yeah, the yeah, coronavirus yeah. handling. We're and, gonna pray it away. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the president thinks it should clear it by the time the weather gets warmer. So basically, uh, Children of Men is upon us. Yeah, I honestly, the fact that not, like y- it hadn't really processed for you, I was
0: watching oh. it with my knees tucked up <laughs> around my chin the whole time, being like, Oh, I'm not prepared for this eventual future.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. In,
1: in 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 our movie, it is it is twenty. 27 yeah mm. so not too distant of a future from the one from the moment we're currently in. we're now. actually
0: closer now to that future than to when this movie was released
1: true yes this movie oh. came out in 2006 yeah. and i think some uh some interesting backstory about children of men which is about uh the world in the throes of chaos because there has not been a child born in in 18 years. There's not been a new child board in 18 years. Uh, It has become a... We focus on Britain. It has become a closed borders, throw out the immigrants. There is division and strife and war. And um, Alfonso Cuaron uh, got the... He really crystallized the idea to make this movie uh, on 9-11. Yeah. He had like... it, It had been brought to him as an idea, this book to be adapted. I forget the name of the author, so... I don't have anything in front of me so I'm not going to say who that book was by but he Roald was Dahl. on a press <laughs> dark man it was dark he had a dark sense of humor <laughs> sorry. His, his lost I am, manuscript after James I am the giant I'm so push. sorry you guys
0: it has been a really long week for me and I've had like a glass of wine
1: so I am sorry Jordan no, no. for everything I do to you this podcast No that's fine um but no he was they were in an air they were stuck in an airport I think it was in Canada on their their press cycle for uh, *Itu Mama Tambien. It was him and Gael Garcia Bernal. And they got to thinking about sort of a world on the edge of oblivion. And uh, so, you know, the mind palace was working at that point. But then in the the interim time, he made Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh. And then after, while he was making that movie, he was still thinking about Children of Men. And then once he wrapped that movie and he had some goodwill under his belt, he got the green light to go forward. Uh, with this dark vision, dark yet um,
2: appropriate vision of our future and present. I would say yeah. like freakily prescient yes. vision. Extremely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, extremely. Yes. Yeah. And I remember at the time seeing it, feeling like this feels too close mm-hmm. and then like kind of scary for that reason. Uh-huh. Like I could absolutely see all of this happening and watching it again now, like a decade later, it's even scarier. Yeah. Well,
1: and he, and we, there was a big feature that uh, Abraham Reisman did on this in 2016. Um, Maybe it came out in 2017. It and was he 20, interviewed yeah. Alphalto Cuaron in 2016, where he asked him about, like, the prescience of the film, and that was sort of a premise that Cuaron rejected because he was like, this is, you know, this movie wasn't foretelling the future. It was talking about things that were absolutely relevant at the time, but people were too complacent to really be talking about. Uh, yeah. yeah. And... He... Then I believe... Because like the movie... I forgot because it's so revered. I completely forgot the movie bomb. Yeah. What? what? It bombed. Was made, it was made for $70 million. That was the budget. And it made at the American box office $76 million.
2: Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: It, this movie... It didn't really get, it got limited attention from the Academy Awards, and yet it feels exactly in line with the rest of Alfonso Cuarón's filmography with YouTube Mama Tambian and Gravity, which he would go on to make. Like, I don't think of Cuarón as having missed. No. And But this movie. And I didn't.
0: think that if this movie had come out 10 years later, it's this would have been an Academy darling. It just that happened to be a
1: situation where it was 2006 and. It It was we were
0: we were just
2: not for the Bush era. No, no,
1: No. not at all. No. Because it was like around that that was an interesting time where we were like tortured, you know, tourism movies like Saw and the Collection were and and Eli Roth's films were very much de jour in the genre community. And that was a very nihilistic Exaggerated form of exploiting the sort of post Abu Ghraib post 9-11 feeling we had I think this, like you said it was it was too close to home. It was too Actually real there wasn't anything sensational about children to men. It was just like oh wow This could be the future on our doorstep. Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: just to, like for point of reference So in 2000 March 2006, we'll look at the 2006 and the 2007 Oscar nominees
1: 2006 was crash
3: that like just to, t- okay, <laughs> just to okay, you
1: say two thousand, but also that means two thousand six was also okay. broke, Munich, back, Ma- broke back mountain, yes, uh, Capote, yep. And this is all off of Jordan, the top of Jordan's head. That and I was remember that because I remember my only guiding post that year, but reading up to the Oscars would people be like, What do you think is gonna be the best picture? And I would say, anything but crash. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I that's all I know is anything but crash. You have this Spielberg you have this Spielberg yeah. epic, you have this very, you know, academy appeal and something good night yeah. and good luck that's very industry centric, and you have the work of art that's broke back mountain and Capote is this tour de force by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Then I was like, Oh yeah, then that trash movie crash.
2: So, I was like, surely. Uh, and it was so- As someone who lives in L.A. now, <laughs> yeah. crash is very important to me. We crash, crash is- into each other. We do. But
0: well, we don't talk to each other when we crash. That was completely fit work of fiction. And I so will say, point is- of reference, 07 was Little Miss Sunshine, the queen, letters from Iwo Jima, the departed, Oof. and then what probably took the place of Children of Men, which would have been Babel.
1: That very much takes the place that of Children of Men. Like
0: that's, I'm sure that that like is what they mentally wrote off as like,
1: well, this is Children <clears> of <throat> Men, but not. And it was like, well, it also had. I mean, that had Brad Kate Pitt? Blanchett. Yeah. That had Brad Pitt. Yeah, and at, we will get into the Clive Owen of it all mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Children of oh, yeah. Men. Um, I will say, I, I just have to add that I was so disturbed. Crash won Best Picture that year. Uh, me and a couple of my friends were just furious, and we're like, "We should go see a movie at the dollar fifty theater, which is in Eugene, Oregon, where we went to school at University of Oregon." And we were like, "What's the fucking worst movie we can find?" So we're like, "We're gonna go see Underworld <laughs> for a dollar fifty because movies are pointless." <laughs> and
2: send a message to the industry, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, where my wow. dollars are going. And while I did not love Underworld, I do love Kate Beckinsale, I and I was say, very glad to have spent an evening with her.
0: Like, to be honest, when you say we're going to go see Underworld instead, that's sort of that situation of, to to use my favorite new Israeli phrase, <laughs> don't threaten a whore with a dick. <laughs>
1: You're going to have to unpack that one for me a little bit. Jordan,
0: don't threaten Jordan I mean, with Kate Beckinsale dressed in leather, <laughs> oh, killing okay. a bunch of vampires. like werewolves. Or werewolves.
1: I'm sorry. She's a vampire.
0: I don't know who's a vampire and who's a werewolf. I haven't seen it. It just, if you told me like Kate Beckinsale is in a movie and she plays somebody who wears a lot of leather and looks stoically at the camera in a Celine heightened fantasy. She's
1: a death dealer is what she is. <laughs> <laughs> i <I'm> just <laughs> Your point is proven. My yeah. point, point is made. Your yeah. <laughs> point is proven. The
0: point is is that in this situation, don't threaten Jordan with a good time. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was was that from the Dean? Was yeah, it that, was from okay. the Dean. The Dean
0: this is this is a, the Dean phrase that I that I learned like a year ago and I don't use often enough. Um, it's a showstopper. It's really one <laughs> where you're just like, huh but is also that, like is that
2: translated or is It is translated. Okay. They, don't say, <laughs> they, don't, they don't speak in, here, a, like, speak in Hebrew English and in, then say in, but
0: don't threaten Israel's the whore side. with a dick. No, they <laughs> this is the translated version is don't threaten a whore with a dick. And like I've learned a lot of idioms that are really unique and weird that I think he picked up in the army, but my particular oh, favorite that sounds one, like something
1: one would pick up in the army. <laughs> it's a
0: fantastic one though. Like cause if you say it just right. Like when someone tells me something, I'm, I'm never like, going to say it, but I feel like because
2: you're Jewish, <laughs> yeah, you're I don't allowed. think
1: that's, yeah. I don't think that's, if it's an, if it's it's an not, Israeli idiom, then all bets are off Honestly,
0: you. Honestly, Jordan, you could, you, Jordan Jew, you could say, I don't
2: know, we'll maybe allow it, we'll yeah. maybe allow it. Sure.
0: I think, see, I think in this situation, I like to say, don't threaten a whore with a dick and be like, <laughs> I am the whore in that situation. When someone's like, do you want to go get in and out? And I'm like, don't threaten a whore with a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's kind of like I, does a bear shit in the woods. Exactly. Yeah,
3: like, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, don't threaten me with a good time. It's yeah. So much better because right. you are using the word, like, you're using the dick in a disembodied way. In my head, yeah. Yeah. don't threaten a whore with a dick is truly, in my head, is just like a whore staying there and, like, having a
2: like carrot a, a, on the stick. Yeah. How I'm
3: it. Like yeah.
0: You like you're running my, on a treadmill chasing a penis. That's like in that. my head. Thank you. <laughs>
1: And that really brings us back to Children of Men. <laughs> <laughs> that really brings us back to Children was of that, Men. That was the first was that, act, is that right? that we're <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That yeah what we're that's we're the cold open of this movie.
0: Um, <coughs> Clive Owen in, being threatened with a dick.
1: When, in fact, the cold open of this movie is we see uh, our put-upon hero, Clive Owen, going into a convenience store where the world has learned that the youngest person in the world, Baby Diego. <laughs> mm. Baby Diego. Baby Diego, who's 18, has been stabbed to death in Buenos Aires because he refused to sign an autograph for somebody uh and as as Clive points out to us later, ah oh, that guy was a wanker like screw baby Diego <laughs> yeah. um but Joey, how do you feel like this is such a fascinating movie to talk about the reality index of because it feels so gritty and real It's yeah.
2: incredible I mean I was I was wary to bring it to disaster girls right because it's, Not really a disaster movie. It's like an aftermath movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. But I think that's way scarier. Totally. Like there's some fun in a disaster usually. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. You're like, all right, we got to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and we're going to survive this. And the timeline of your disaster movie life is not too long. Yeah. You know, you have to get through this and keep going. And it's way scarier when a flu pandemic hits in 2008. Right. Mm -hmm. And then people stop having babies and now we're what 20 or 15 years later in yeah. movie time and you're just like fuck we're yeah. still here everything's gone to shit and now what do we do yeah and I think the you see so many movies with shit exposition at the beginning yeah and they deal with they do so much exposition in such like a clean perfect way at the mm-hmm. end of this movie where you walk in to the store. You see the news. You're mm-hmm, like, why mm-hmm. am I doing news reels?" That's yeah. like the cheapest exposition thing. But then you have an action scene there yeah. too. You see him and his reaction versus the rest of the people. You understand who Clive Owen is. Mm-hmm. You understand so much from this initial bomb, which I thought was like incredible.
1: And they, and <clears throat> Emmanuel Lubezki, Lubezki, I'm not quite sure how to, Chivo is what they call him, but his uh, quorum cinematographer, uh, they worked together to fill every frame of this movie with information. Yeah, it's such They a wanted dance. to be elucidating this world visually yeah. and, audi- and audibly the entire time. And it works. Like you said, we, we suddenly, you drop in and you feel disoriented because it's so bleak. But you kind of immediately have a sense of what this movie, how we're going to feel the rest of the movie. Yeah. Totally.
2: And you know, okay, this is the kind of guy who everyone else is staring at the TV. Yeah. You're getting the exposition, but you're like half watching it. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's not like you're like banged over the head with it because yeah. you're getting the exposition. We're also seeing Clive Owen being like, fuck that kid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. Like any I, of this. I just want to get my, want coffee, my coffee. Just want my coffee. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, he just wants his coffee
1: so that he can put his liquor in it. It's
0: <laughs> <Exactly>. really. yeah
1: <laughs> A thing I, uh, I, I feel like the, the sort of the implications of the, like the little. Implicit things in this movie I feel like are the the things I, I want to touch on with like the reality indexing of it because like when he goes see I think it's his cousin who is a very well connected rich person yes. his his ex-wife who they had a child together Dylan who died in the influenza pandemic he hasn't seen his wife for 20 years since their baby died and she shows up again she's the leader of this immigrant rights organization called the Fishers and she abducts him to get him off the street and say I need you to get like I think it's your cousin he needs to get you transit papers cuz we need to get somebody to the coast it's an emergency I can't tell you why he goes to his cousin because he's got such a soft spot for his ex-wife who is Julianne Moore who just happens to be Julianne Moore <laughs> yeah. and you go into his cousin's home and it's he work he lives he seems to live at like some sort of institute it's called like the ark of art and yeah. he's extravagantly wealthy. It's Danny Houston. He has the David in his foyer. He has like priceless art hanging the on the pig walls. Pink Floyd
2: uh, yes. elephant. Yes, or a yes. Pig, the sorry. pig. Yeah, yeah, the
3: Pink
1: Floyd pig is he like. He has
0: floating, Guernica. Yeah, which, yeah. Is,
1: which was from the <laughs> UN. That
0: was so, so. Like we know that something has happened in New York. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which I thought was so interesting because Guernica was is located. So Guernica mm. by, by Pablo Picasso is located in New York, and mm. it has been relocated back to his house, Got which just has it. all this like stolen artwork that he has sectioned away into this one, like, nice, not... It's amazing how much... You go from, like, the super bleak, everything's this, like, weird, washed-out orange Everything tone, looks, and then everything suddenly, looks every, smoggy yeah. in this landscape. Every, and then suddenly everything's green. And also there's a zebra. Yep. Which, like, to be fair, I... Okay, I don't want there to be a pandemic like Well, that's, that's in the park.
1: To, that's not at Danny Houston's house. <laughs>
0: no, but that's, like, in the park where he lives. Seat. And I just, I just want to say, like, no one told me that if... There's like a massive outbreak of influ- like some sort of horrible thing that kills most of the population. Mm-hmm. We just get to live amongst wildlife.
1: <laughs> well, I think that that's got to be a nod to like the the world taking back the landscape. Like, no, that's a, are... that's very clearly an amusement for the rich people. Well, no, yeah. but no, but also there are that, that animals is... are a theme throughout the movie. There's there's the zebra in the park, but then yeah. there are the chickens in the refugee camp, and then there were in the when they're in the abandoned school, there's a deer that runs through the frame. Like there are there are various points throughout this movie yeah. where it's clear that like lawlessness in a state of nature. Is taking yes, hold but again. the
0: zebra is not living in London. That's right. definitely The there zebra for the is amusement. living in yeah. That's there. That's that's supposed to. I, if anything, that brought me back to like the idea of the 1800s and the way that like in the 1800s they would just take animals out of Africa and then <laughs> just put them into London and be like, oh, this aristocrat happens to have a baby cheetah.
1: It also really seems to connect to the fact that I think coronavirus was born of somebody eating a bat
0: what, in China,
1: and so exposure <laughs> to wild animals. Yeah,
0: boom. I think I've heard pangolin. There's a lot of like questions about what it was exactly right but wild animal some yeah eating contact. some sort of meat that you weren't supposed to eat which uh, could also be like running the risk uh, like i there's a lot of questions about what actually caused it That's sure a, yeah but, that
2: sounds like some uh the government releasing yeah
0: the, so there's also <laughs> the idea that it's like there's a lot of questions of what the actual cause is, and we're not gonna know
1: for a while because no. it's China. not but to, to get back to the yeah. point that i was right, making in the, in the park and you know not de- not zebras <laughs> in the park danny houston danny houston and the, the Ark of art the Clive Owen asks him, he's like, how do you do this? Because he's so chill. And Danny Houston, he's like, you know what? To tell you the truth, I just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And that is such a perfect statement in that moment of somebody who's clearly insulated by their privilege that, like, there will be a tipping point on the edge of the world where wealth can't protect you anymore. But up to that point, it will keep you living a life completely disconnected from the hardship on the streets literally below. And I thought that was such an amazing way to separate that character and everybody sort of of his ilk from everything that we just saw Clive Owen leave on the streets below. Yeah.
2: And you see Clive Owen, I mean, again, this exposition that's so nicely uh, folded in, you see Clive Owen on a bus. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And that bus, we see the propaganda video playing. And it says like, in, what is it like London
1: yeah it's like lives Britain, apart. Britain like Britain remains or something yeah, and, like, it's,
2: and you see all of the craziness around the world and you see Britain remaining and there is the question of is this real yeah or is this a a, a tool of the government yeah. to like be able to enslave and mm-hmm. get get rid of immigrants and there's it's never really answered yeah there's clearly chaos and madness and all this stuff but it's you never know and it's beautiful that they don't waste time on that yeah yeah it's a very contained story it's one guy obviously this is like the creation of the famous one shot which has become such a fetish in films but like it's you know we're with this one guy and this eventually this one woman Mm -hmm. trying to get to a boat Mm
3: -hmm. yeah
2: and it's a simple it follows the disaster story thing it's like these two people are going through this world (laughs) Mm -hmm. but Every bit of exposition is so beautifully rich that you're just like, shit, I know this entire universe. Well, and
1: it's yeah. almost, it's almost, it almost, they're so relentless with it that it becomes almost subconscious at certain points, which is exactly what the propaganda armor would intend to do. Like when he's on that bus, mm-hmm. we see the big, like, we see on the TV that like the flag bearing, it's like lists all these countries that are burning, but it's like, but Britain remains strong. And then you're focusing in on Clive Owen. And just in the background, it's communication saying, like, you know, you have vo- a voiceover of people saying like she's my house cleaner she's my sister yep. she's my cousin and then it's like immigrants are illegal like <laughs> it is illegal to house to feed to yeah. shelter immigrants and you're like that is something that is hammered into you throughout the movie either in front of your eyes or through broad- broadcasts like that and you while you see people in people in fucking cages yeah. people in cages yes and it is it is just so. Oh, how did the, it? It it underscores. I would just I forget that this movie didn't take off when it when it landed in two thousand and six. It was it's wild. so mm. good.
2: And I, uh, not to plug another podcast, <laughs> <not> forbid, <laughs> yeah, on yeah a podcast. please
3: no,
0: no, please, no, that would be, we were, yeah, we, no, please, but that I, is I absolutely.
2: A, I have a podcast called the Two Reels Podcast. We do like double features, and we pick our own favorite double feature. And my uh, other two co-hosts had mm-hmm. an episode about. Birds of Prey,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they, they paired it with Sin City. I paired it with in Arizona because, mm-hmm. for me, it's all about the voiceover. Mm-hmm. And I didn't love that movie. I didn't hate <clears throat> it, but I think the voiceover... He means po- Birds
1: of Prey, which me and Jason love.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but I think that like so much exposition happens mm-hmm. via voiceover, and mm-hmm. that's like a cheat. And you see this movie, and it's like the cleanest... I think after watching... T- Raised in Arizona, also a movie that deals with all of the exposition in the first two minutes in a delightful (laughs) voiceover. And then you're like, all right, I have the entire history of all these people. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to see how uh, they could build this giant, crazy world. Mm -hmm. And it's all so seamless throughout the movie. Again, you're hearing things. You're seeing Clive Owen on the side. You're seeing this entire all these cages. Yeah. You're yeah. getting so much information, but it never feels like they're banging you over. No, the head okay. the- so
0: much information. I, the one thing I would argue is that your feeling about um like voiceover and exposition is how I felt about a lot of their um wall montages of of clippings and photographs. Yeah. I was mm. like, that's a lot. I mean, like, look, I, I love a good press clipping.
2: <laughs> but there like that was, the that number was of, the
0: number of times I was like okay fine Jasper like I buy that Jasper has and I was like okay Jasper has that right. Clive photo. Owen Clive Owen's companion longtime he has companion a is a, Michael Caine and yes. he's awesome. He plays
1: this old hippie <laughs> named Jasper who lives in a hidden compound off like a country road.
0: Yeah, he grows weed and listens to heavy metal. I love him. I want him to be my to, my, to be my <laughs>
1: uncle. and the the clippings it, it is worth noting are perhaps the worst thing in the movie is yeah. the horrendous photoshopping of young Michael Caine. Yeah. I'm not even saying the clippings. I'm saying specifically the photoshopping of young Michael Caine. Young Michael Caine as a photojournalist. Yeah. It it was was like, this could not have been shittier. Yeah. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Jason
0: is nodding his head back and forth so hard to in agreement because he doesn't have a microphone. Um, yeah, no. The press clippings in general, every like when it shows up, I'm just like, mm. it just seems like a lot of time to decoupage. Like, I guess that in the apocalypse, like you've got time to decoupage,
1: but it still seems like a lot. Of- <laughs> See that that spoke to me a lot because it just like when the entirety of any when any goodness in the world is derived from looking backwards. Yeah. Why wouldn't you have crazy Carrie Matheson Homeland
2: because fucking yarn charts in
0: your home? Because I wouldn't be saving like all of the.
1: Print newspapers.
2: Yeah, it seems like, like you would have to have been have doing that your whole life. Yeah, and
1: they were just, look at he's uh, some old kook living in the woods and smoking weed. Of course <laughs> he is. Everybody.
0: There were several different scenes. There were several different characters who had sort of press clippings, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's like it's cool. It's dense. I enjoy it because it's a lot of information I'm getting very quickly. And it's. Are like you talking about nuts. the
1: box that they throw Clive Owen into? Oh, the <laughs> box
0: is like it, the, I'm not going to say. Deal, I think that's box. an entirely but separate. The box is. I want to see just as a, a separate situation entirely. I just want the like an entire movie of the guy who's in charge of clipping and then they, the fishes have a, um, like a rooftop interrogation box that they yeah. throw Clive Owen into and it's just wallpapered with newspaper clippings and I want to see the guy who put that together. I mean, who, maybe like, it
1: was Charlie Hunnam. Who is in that scene? Yeah. <laughs> he just ran up. Poor uh, He plays Patrick. Yeah. The Wait, crazy fucker with, I think, dreadlocks. With dreadlocks. The
2: blonde dread guy? Yeah. yeah. Charlie Hunnam.
1: I, I yeah. it came, wow. also, he came up in the credits. I was like, where was Charlie Hunnam that in this? That was Charlie Hunnam. And I had to go to the IMDb page. I was just
0: dealing with, like, I was processing. I kept waiting for Chuck Bass to do anything. And I was like, nope, they just paid Chuck Bass to sit there and do Ed the Ed thing Westwick, with his fingers. Ed
1: Westwick is the seemingly son of Clive Owen's uh, rich, uh, detached cousin, And he just sits there interacting with the video game the entire. And he, which
0: like I realize in retrospect, like that was the year before. Uh, Gossip Girl came out, so he wouldn't have been Chuck oh, Bass at that point. No, he was just a British guy. He was guy. just a British guy, but he didn't need to be a British guy. He could have been any any nationality because he didn't speak. He just sat there and like... Right, but every, like, like almost everybody in the movie is British, so. except for, Yeah, except for Julianne Moore.
2: God bless her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they do like one second of exposition on that, like, were your parents in New York when it happened? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and like, she's oh, like, yeah, they like,
2: were. So she's not not doing an accent. She's from New York. Yeah, this is yeah. great.
1: yeah. <laughs> I, what I... It did feel like, because I think one of the, another thing that that really felt so chillingly accurate while watching this is the, watching the tension between like this, you know, the government would call the fish group terrorists, of course. And then the, the, the terror, the, the fish fishers, whatever they fit. Yeah. The fishers, the the fishers,
0: were they the fishers? The fishes. The, fish is, the right? fishes. The yeah. fishes.
1: The fishes would probably call the standing government uh, a collection of terrorists in the way that they are alienating and exiling um, immigrants, refugees. Yeah. And there, there's a, the bombing in the beginning of the movie at the coffee shop where Clive Owen is. The the government, of course, immediately says that that's this ter- terrorist group the fishes. Well, then he gets kidnapped by the fishes and they're like, no, that was like we stopped bombing after like X event. This was um, this was the government because this is what they do when their poll numbers start flagging. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't typically go all conspiracy theorists, but for real, this feels like something that this current presidential administration is capable of waging some sort of weird domestic campaign of terror to freak people the fuck out. Well, I was like, you yeah. know what?
0: Yeah. A fucking twisted government would do that. Anytime I'm in a dystopian like world in a movie or something, I 100% become such a false flag insane. <laughs> here. <Like>, you you <laughs> have like, to. The minute that bomb went off, I was like, that was the government. And then in my head, I'm like, I don't even know what's happening in this world. It doesn't matter. I've just immediately decided it's the man. Like yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Clive Owen could be the president of this world. And I'm just immediately like, nope, that was... Like, clearly the ones who are fighting the government are the good ones. Yes. What what is wrong with me? Implicit. When do I become... Revolutionary Amanda. I become (laughs) such a weird, like, insane, living in the backwoods, like, separatist. Jasper. I be, no like a crazy separatist. <laughs> the minute that any of like I'm watching a dystopian movie and I just like immediately I'm like anybody who's against the man is clearly the one in the right in this film. And yeah. I I'm like, I agree. I me? kept
2: backing the fishes even when we saw some very questionable <laughs> very things. I'm questionable like like well, I think I get the idea here. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> were you with were you with the fishes? Because we learn in the greatest game.
0: We haven't of, even covered like what the actual what the girl they're trying to get. Well no that's why I was just gonna yeah.
1: say like what, what Julian Moore is trying to link up. Uh, you know her name is uh, Jewel, Jules, and she's trying to link Theo, Clive Owen, up with this woman who is pregnant—a young woman named Key, who I believe it sounds like she was a prostitute. It sounds like she was, it,
0: yeah. She's Be- so she. What we know about her is that she's, um, I think, North African.
1: Okay. She's and about
0: twenty. She's yeah. She's like in her late teens, early twenties. Yeah. And the only reference we get to anything about the father after she makes a great joke about being a virgin. Yeah. Um, which I did appreciate how often. Alfonso Cuaron was like I'm gonna put the nose Directly on the face Yeah Of like I'm gonna put her in a barn To reveal that she's pregnant Yeah Because she's Mary. Like I appreciate that Um, but she does explicitly say when he's like, who's the father? And she's like, I don't know. They didn't even bother learning their names. Yeah. She's like,
1: I, di- I usually never do their names. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, so there were a lot of them. So I'm assuming this was work.
0: Yeah. I would, I, th- I think that it wouldn't be wrong to assume she was a prostitute. I don't know if that was the most interesting choice to make for her.
1: I thought it was interesting because like you have, I mean, in the, in the the story of Christ, you have like, you know, Mary Magdalene was, wasn't she a prostitute? Right. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, like you have like the followers of, of Christ you know, Jesus didn't judge, could have been anybody. And if she's not going to be the Virgin Mary and she, I, I, and you make her, you make her probably, she's already a refugee and as the, the bad, bad guy, questionably bad guy, questionably good guy, fish organization makes clear, um, there's no way the government would let this woman have this baby and admit to the world that the first child born in two decades is from a refugee. Yeah. And not only would she be a refugee, but like a prostitute Black, dark-skinned North African refugee. I, the last thing that, that the government.
2: I think they could have made her. It would have been boring to make her an angel refugee. Like I, yeah. I appreciated yeah. that they made her. Difficult as hell she didn't, and yeah, really lose her husband funny. In the war. but I agree that she didn't need to be a prostitute. That was like the other end of that spectrum. Like yeah. we, c- she could have been anything, you know. I, I
1: kind <laughs> of, I, I additionally like the prostitution because it it fully made it made the story, it made it, it centralized the importance of of the woman and her fertility, and totally sidelined the patriarchal aspect of it. Completely anonymous, didn't yeah. matter. Could have been anybody. Didn't I, matter. I think it could have just mattered. as easily
0: been like. I, I think that she could have just as easily said doesn't matter he's gone
1: like she could have just as easily i I like the i like the ethical choice to say and it could be like it it will it could be someone in one of these camps who is the savior of humanity and it could be somebody who would be looked down upon by every like jew like christian ethnic you know, stereotype that we need for virtue and morality to take her as far away from that as possible and have her be indifferent about it. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I thought that was very good because it was like the maximally most chaotic thing that the powers that be would have sort of rejected as who could be the one to perhaps provide us hope for salvation. Yeah. Definitely. Do we feel like, I I, I think yes, do we feel like if we just, if like, because we learn that from this woman Miriam who's sort of going to be the midwife to, She's gonna try and be the midwife to Key's baby. Um, she was uh around when women just started spontaneously miscarrying. She just Yeah. They were it was that was kind and then suddenly they stopped getting pregnant at all. Yeah. Is this do we think this is what would happen if people stopped having babies?
0: Oh god. Ooh. Like you like, mean in the sense think, of this sequence of that women would start miscarrying and then No, I mean like is this what would happen is this what we oh, would do as if a society? Like as a society? Um, so that's that was kind of the point I kept going because like back that's to. like that's what happens in Handmaid's Tale as well. Like right. shit goes well, down the
1: tubes because so em- Gilead Tale- springs up because for there's a fertility crisis. Yeah,
0: in Handmaid's Tale there's a mix of things though because there's a fertility crisis, but also we're led to believe that like there's also an issue with nuclear war and there's like some other factors. I feel like
1: it's implicit that that's also an issue here. Like, yeah, that's, I was going to say, that's also,
0: there's also very clearly like been some sort of also other things that have been happening. Um, and so it's always weird to me in these, in these narratives to get into like a real feminist headspace about this one because God knows you don't come to disaster girls <laughs> to not have this be taken into a weird patriarchal space. Um, I think there's always something really interesting to me about both, uh, handmaid's tale and this narrative mm-hmm. that the focus so fully becomes about the infertility crisis yeah. and that being the breakdown in society right? versus the other things that could so clearly be the breakdown in society. And as a side effect,
3: mm-hmm. infertility
0: increases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at, like, the idea that there is a certain amount that an ecosystem can support. Right. Um, like, I don't know if you guys played this game when you were a kid. Not played this game, but, like, it was a thing that we had in a biology class when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Um, And, like, we all had to be birds, and then there were a certain number of seeds.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And
0: if the number of seeds decreased, they pulled those kids off the field. It was basically to teach us about... no. Oh, it was a really fun. I loved it. Yeah, such a great game. Um, but basically, the idea is that a certain biome can only support so much of a population, right? And once the population is exceeds that capability, then you have to decrease the number of things. Yeah. And so, I think that looking at it as chaos unfolds because fertility decreases is a really interesting lens in the sense that it's a lens that we see that I think flips it, which is what if fertility decreases because the biome no longer supports it? Sure. Sure. So I don't think chaos, I think chaos would ensue, Mm -hmm. um, not in the way that it's depicted so often in these things. Um, I think that, to a degree what happens in Handmaid's Tale is more likely to happen where basically like fertility becomes a communal thing. That,
1: yeah, and also enslavement. Yeah, like enslavement,
0: fertility becomes communal. Um, I absolutely think that like, basically what ends up happening is that First world governments go into, into third world governments and go like, well, your children aren't being cared for properly. So we're going to take them to ensure the next generation survives. And so I could see yeah, that like being next,
1: next version of mass global colonialization,
0: right? is basically would be basically taking going into these like under under privileged nations and then taking the children and being like, well, we're going to make sure that your children are provided for yeah. because you aren't providing for them. And then that becomes this weird, like really what's basically happening now potentially with children being brought across the border and then Betsy DeVos is working with adoption agencies to adopt these children who've been separated from their families. Like we see that happening. So I mean, just from like a, a, an abstract sitting on my chair kind of place, like that seems more realistic to me than, um, what seems to be happening in the world of children of men, which Uh involves like a bigger global chaos. Yeah. But we're also getting such a small picture where if there was like a global pandemic, if, like, major systems did collapse, if yes. there's so many different other things, like, yeah, 18 years later, sure, I believe that an island is one of the last places yeah. that that is. Yeah. Like, is going to be fine during coronavirus, ultimately. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean... Potentially,
3: whatever. <laughs> like,
1: except for the kangaroos. Like, they're fucked. <laughs> yeah. but. So, Joey, does this to do you... Do, is this to you repre- representative of something where your mind goes in this sort of catastrophe
3: scenario?
2: So, I... Yeah, what struck me about it, which I think is smart uh, in world building sense mm. is uh what, if there aren't children, Yeah, will adults act well?
3: there like, oh, Will, yes. will yes. the moral
2: structure continue mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're just living your one life, you have no offspring, you have nothing to raise. Which
1: Miriam the midwife says, like when the sound of children in playgrounds went away, that was when people really started to crater. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think that like, for someone like Clive Owen's character, mm-hmm. who basically takes to drinking, his kid dies. He takes to drinking. Yeah, he becomes a nihilist. He does all of that, and Julianne Moore starts believing in this thing called the Human Project, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is basically a god. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm stealing your yeah. Corner here, but, no, go for it. I, I don't
0: have God in this one, so go yeah,
2: for it. So it's like I, you know, if you believe that. There's some greater force that you can't get in touch with mm-hmm. who's going to save humanity. It's going to create right, fertility right. again. You can't
1: get in touch. They say that multiple times. You don't get in touch with the human project. The human project gets in touch with you, which, which with is you. this like alleged organization that exists to that is like trying to address this fertility crisis and like save
2: mankind. And it's like on boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. On boats somewhere out
3: there.
2: Somewhere out there in the fog near a lighthouse and a buoy. Mm-hmm. And you just have to like get to it yeah and I think uh seeing that like Julianne Moore found purpose and Mm -hmm, Clive mm -hmm. Owen is like pissed at her for it yeah because he's like how did you move on from the death of our kid yeah so quickly and she's like I didn't move on but like I started doing something yeah Yeah. and he's like I started drinking and wanted to die
3: Yeah, (laughs) he he regularly
2: talks about smoking cigarettes I mean like it's not working yeah like I'm trying to die and it's not happening you know and I think uh
0: which is weird because they have assisted
1: suicide in this world and he <laughs> won't it is
0: a they He like wants the, to go with like the most painful
1: The government it, yeah. hands out suicide uh, assistance kits uh, with a drug called Quietus mm. yeah. that will send you off into the long sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very interesting point though about the sort of en- enforcement of a moral code just by virtue of knowing children are present. Yeah. Because that is that so is, much of what it. like <laughs> that is like you hear that in the, in the in, in people who are proponents of like climate science being like the world we leave behind for our children. Mm-hmm. Greta Thunberg, like, there's a reason yeah. why she is like a resonant sort of voice in this because the voice of a child and, you know, the terror of Marjorie Stoneman High School. We have the kids rising up to demand gun I mean, control I think action.
0: All of us choose not to swear around small Like, when we're in a public space, yes. our language, we language police differently than we do. Terrible. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. you absolutely,
0: yeah, you do, you, there, oh. there are behavioral changes that do occur in all of us when we're around kids or in a space that could have children potential. Or like, yeah, then, that
1: you're you're in line and you say like a bad thing, you draw oh, sorry, like yeah. you, oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's also
2: like the bigger scale thing, which is like what, you know, the whole reason for like religion and things and like the purpose of life yeah. is that we have to like create some linear story. Right. And if that just like ends, like we're 18 years into this now. Yeah. yeah. But- Eventually there just won't be humans anymore. It's kind of an implication of no babies. And
1: like in in a relatively short period of time, like basically like eighty years. Like in a lifetime, we'll be gone. Yeah. Not even like four lifetimes from now, but like in one lifetime, we'd all be gone.
2: Yeah, which really like that's why obviously this is jumping ahead, but the scene that like this movie's famous for, you know, like the powerful moment in the refugee camp when everyone sees the baby and like stops fighting for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only...
3: I was
1: crying.
2: Yeah, only he could earn that. That is such like a cheesy idea and yeah, so beautiful yeah. because he is such a beautiful director and Yeah, so they, they've had
1: to, like they have to get to the, the last place that the, the boat is going to stop from the human project is off the coast of this refugee camp in Beck's Hill and it's a giant, it's a city that's been turned into a refugee camp and it's fucking nightmare conditions in there. Yeah and then when they get there the fishes converge with the military the fishes converge cuz they're going to storm this camp and they're going to find key and the baby and then when they attack well that means the army's going to roll in and try and put down the insurgency and so it is it's the iconic long tracking shot of getting key out of the refugee camp carrying the baby that she's had and every person who sees this baby basically is just sort of like struck down in yeah, awe all
0: the soldiers mm-hmm. like yelling are yelling to stop firing all of that um which led to it's a beautiful moment and the entire time i was yelling at the screen why won't any <laughs> of you escort them <laughs> sure and so that was for me a point of unbelief it's such a gorgeous moment but it's almost to me a point of unbelievability that all none of the soldiers were immediately like i have to follow and protect you like uh-huh. that that didn't turn mm. the tide at all to me mm-hmm. and i get why Um, because there does still have to be like narratively I get why but that was the one moment in this movie where I stopped and I was like and I'm out of this world well it is because yeah because I'm like yes I'm so on board with everyone stopping and being shocked and awestruck like look I work retail and when a puppy
1: walks into the store <laughs> the <laughs> store gets quiet and we're all all of our heads swivel and we're like there's a puppy but like, and like imagine if you imagine if you hadn't seen a puppy in 20 exactly. years exactly I don't so know I that would you can calibrate that puppy with my life
3: absolutely I would <laughs> throw
1: down
0: I would be like L- walk on top of me so that your road is more soft I don't care <laughs> I don't care if there was like I don't know where you're going with that baby but I know this space isn't safe for your baby and I have a gun Uh uh-huh. like like, that's a very... Compa- like, that baby should have had an escort. And that's the only moment where I was like, oh, I just... Like, every other moment in this, no matter what happened, every turn, everything, the soldier who speaks... In- there was a guy, Sid, who speaks in the third person, which yeah. took me a while to figure out that's what was happening. <laughs> Even that, like, every moment of this, I was fully on board for, with the exception of Clive Owen stopping um, when they... Le- so, uh, Key is has been... They're trying to run from the fishes with Jas with and they run to Jasper's house. The fishes find them. Jasper sends them Theo and Key and Miriam off in a car. Yeah. And then they stop on a ridge just
1: outside of Jasper's house to watch Jasper be shot. And I was like, what? That was the that stopping mo- more than the more than the because I feel like the the pause in this shooting didn't really. I don't think it had time to register with me because the shooting kicks up again so fast because once the once the baby team baby is essentially clear of danger. Well, then somebody yeah. from inside the apartment building, of the refugee camp starts firing on the soldiers again. Yeah. It's like, okay, the baby's safe. Fuck you. It's war. Yeah. And no, because like that snap back into action so fast yeah. uh, that I, re- that made sense to me. It was like, Oh, well it was, it, the peace was never meant to last. Yeah. But the part where he stops the car. Yeah. To, like, no, he told you... You are defying what he asked you to... He's giving you just time to flee. Leave. Why are leave. you stopping? Like, right. Because, leave. yeah, she would tell for who was the leader of the fishes, because he has seen to it that Jules was dispatched by her own men. It was an inside job, because she wanted to get Key out of Britain and send her to the human project and protect the baby, and... Luke, who's leading the fishes, who is Chiotel Egyophor, who's leading them now, wanted her dead because he's like, No, we're gonna politicize this baby. We're gonna make it part of our movement. No one will be able to deny our uprising once we have a baby on our side. Yeah. And he's being a dick about it. Now, were you so you said like the fishes you kind of couldn't leave behind. Was there a breaking point between you and the fishes? Yeah, uh,
2: I mean, I absolutely could understand that the fishes were evil, but I got yeah, yeah. I at least what, what Worked for me was I got his political idea. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. It's like, all right, this guy, like usually there's the big bad and you're just like, what is wrong with this person? (laughs)
3: Like this makes no
2: sense. And the entire time with that character, you're just kind of like, okay, this is fucked up. He's taken this revolution to the wrong point. (laughs) But he believes demonstrating a refugee child has been born in England Will prove the point that you can't be racist and yeah. the whole refugee program is fucked up yeah. and all of that. And like, I'm like, all right, I get your politics. Totally, you're taking it the wrong way.
3: <laughs> yeah. You killed
2: Julianne Moore, which is unforgivable oh, because forget- she oh, yeah. is. I thought she should win Best Supporting Actress for that like 10-minute role. Oh, she was she Absolutely,
0: she's great. Absolutely, she the should movie. win Best Supporting Actress just for the fact that she can take a <laughs> ping pong ball and shoot it directly
3: into five.
1: <laughs> you know, no. what we don't know enough about whether or not that was CGI. That Clive, was, and, Clive, and, and and that. Clive and Clive and Julianne Moore. Clive and Julianne Moore have a moment rekindling their sort of like old romance in the car and they're like spitting a ping pong ball back and forth into one of each other in one another's mouths from like a foot and a half away it really is delightful i mean speaking
2: speaking of like memory and how this works like i watched that movie the first time in like a decade yeah i believe julianne moore was going to be in an hour and a half of that two hour movie (laughs) all of the scenes i remembered were julianne moore and clive owen and it's like 20 minutes yeah it's 20 (laughs) i think
1: 26 minutes in yeah but based on what I was like Lord
2: yeah. again That she got killed Because yeah. I'm just like What the fuck I thought she was The supportive actress And you're thinking like it, she,
1: Even if she like Okay even if she's like I remember she died But it's like Surely she doesn't die here Because we're not even Looking at her face <laughs> Right Suddenly just somebody Like somebody rolls up On them in a car and they're, and they're driving Quickly in reverse And just shoots her In the fucking neck I think it's if, Charlie if I, Hunnam that, yeah, I think it is Charlie Hunnam. I think Plus it is Charlie, Charlie Hunnam. Hunnam. Yeah.
2: I'm out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Charlie yeah. Hunnam, I'm going to say, like, cursed himself in that moment yeah. for taking out Julianne Moore.
0: Question, because um, Charlie Hunnam's hair reminded me of it. Do we believe that Miriam would have that hair? Miriam had, like, She had, twist like, super short
1: that twist were braid dreadlocks. Similar to dreadlocks. Yeah. She was enough of a sort of zen hippie Sure.
2: Okay. I mean, Jordan, you went to Oregon. I went to Santa Cruz. (laughs) Yes. I have seen some white. That woman lives in Eugene a
1: hundred (laughs) percent carrying that red velvet bag she had and like laying hands on a dead Julian. I think it was
2: very ripped from the headlines of my college experience in 2006 in Santa Cruz when this movie came out. No,
1: I think that, I think that's, I think that's a fair thing to say.
0: Yeah. I didn't know how to assess it. I just like, it wasn't till the scene when they're in the school. So they've like now escaped. Um, they've, they've escaped, fled from Julian's place. Uh, they're with key on the road and like, they're in the school with Miriam and they're going to meet Sid who is like the guy who'll get them to the refugee yeah, camp. Yeah, he's like
1: their corrupt military yeah. guy who's their fixer.
0: And I just like she stepped into the light and for the first time I really saw her hair and I yeah. was just like,
3: "Huh."
1: <laughs> yeah. That's
3: It's a choice. Not what She's
0: I also doing tai chi g- outside yeah. at one point. Which like that I believed, sure, yeah. but like the hair, I was just it caught me off guard and you know, I I'm as deep as a pond sometimes. <laughs> and I just, it took me a second to be like, well, that's that's a choice, but i I don't have a hippie. The hippie roots of of Oregon or Santa Cruz. So
2: I just kept waiting for Charlie Hunnam's character to start fire spinning in the backyard. He
1: ap- patch pants.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. He
1: he goes to He's the Oregon. He goes to the Oregon Country sure. Fair if he is in Oregon at that time of year. <laughs> what do
0: you think the fishes do for like team bonding? Do you think they do a slack line? Like, <laughs> oh no doubt,
1: no doubt. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I totally believe that. I also love that like Chiwetel Four is so well cast in this as like. Like you believe the righteousness that comes off of Chiwetel Ejiofor based on like anything he says. The first recorded memory I have of Chiwetel Ejiofor being in something was the Serenity movie that was an extension of the Firefly show where he plays like he plays the true believer. He's an assassin on behalf of like the galactic like government basically. Yeah. But he is an assassin on their behalf because he deeply believes in his soul that their mission is right and guided by God. Yeah. But he's a fucking assassin. Like, he is, to him, he is the hand of God. Yeah. He is so good at being that. And, like, he is the hand of, like, the atheistic humanist God in in this movie. Yeah. So, you, like, I never question Chiwetel Ejiofor on screen in his beliefs. If Chiwetel Ejiofor says he believes something to be true, even if I think he's wrong, I'm like, well, he's not kidding.
2: No, yeah. he, he he buys in.
1: Yeah, he, he buys <laughs> in buys all the in. way. I yeah. feel like Chiwetel Ejiofor is like the best future case of Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> Interesting. That yes. to me feels yeah. like the logical progression of Chadwick Boseman, which isn't even uh, that far off
2: because Chadwick Boseman is
1: like 45 at this
2: point. I never know. I never know with what, like, what does Marvel do? <laughs> like, are they... He doesn't need to do anything ever again no. in his life. I'm so hopefully he decides to have some interesting roles. It's a good roles, all the biopics were made <laughs> already.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's, he's already, period, he's already done the biopics. Where he did all of the biopics yeah, for it would be great
2: if... Those Marvel actors use their newfound freedom to make interesting shit, but it doesn't usually happen, unfortunately. <laughs> hey,
0: hey, hey, Chris Evans is going to be the dentist. Hey, Knives Out. Knives Out. Knives hey, Out. Knives Out is great. Downey
2: Jr. did Doolittle. right? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Knives Out is a great return, by the way. Robert to Downey Jr. made those <laughs> five <laughs> Doolittle movies
1: and rolled them into one, goddammit. It
2: It was beautiful that he really took all of his social capital <laughs> yes. all that big money off yeah. that to make Doolittle. To,
1: what is he
0: spending his money on? What dark project? Life like, extension. I'm no, sure. I feel like like we're secretly going to find out that he actually has built a rocket to Mars, and
1: like he's been the whole he's, time
0: he's, he's been, been competing like the with Watchmen. Elon Musk. It's like the Watchman. Yeah. he's
3: yeah
1: he's, he's he's Adrian Veidt. Like we, what could, if we, we just could don't cut know this
2: later, but Coke. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, Allegedly. He's, buying, he's buying the coca-cola cons- yeah,
0: exactly. yes he's an yeah. investor
1: yes that will keep us from getting sued I do I do think I do want to give a shout out to uh, I don't know where it fits on the reality index but I feel like it has to fit somewhere of the fact that Clive Owen spends a substantial amount of this movie either in no shoes or flip-flops yeah because Jasper has nothing else to give him so he watching him put on those flip-flops and then it, like he's barefoot at one point in the refugee camp until someone gives him a pair of shoes yeah. that was tremendous it was like you you know what if you did force i don't know why he walked out of that house without shoes on in the first place when he realized there was something funky going on at the fish's compound but it's like yeah you wouldn't have time to stop and get better shoes yeah you're on the run Th- that felt like a wonderful detail of it it underscored to me the relentlessness of what they had to go through in this movie because it's basically over the course of two days yeah he gets them the pass and then they have to get like by tomorrow night they have to get to bricks hill um Bex Bexhill. Bex they have to get to Bex Hill to get to the boat yeah. and it was like yeah we don't have time to fucking shoe shop like <laughs> if somebody's not your size you're just gonna do without yeah you're wearing flip flops and it was
2: definitely like Chekhov's shoe because he sprained his ankle <laughs> <Yeah>. later <laughs> yeah. you know it's yeah. like yeah. we're waiting for this bad moment
1: with <laughs> your ankle <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> Chekhov's shoe I love the way Chekhov comes up on this podcast
0: <laughs> oh yeah well we're a very we're a very esoteric podcast Um, but so I, yeah. I I
2: another reality index yes do we think that Clive Owen has substantially larger feet than Michael Caine.
1: No, Um. I thought that was crazy. It was like he was putting on a woman's shoes. Yeah, it's like, what? Ah. They were so small. He like couldn't even fake it. <laughs> I fully believe that Clive Owen's not five. seven feet tall. <laughs> I could, if you told me Clive Owen had
0: hobbit feet, I'd believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just something about his him that I'm just like, yeah, he could have hobbit feet. Sure. Like I'm on board with that. Not like just I I could see him having large feet. I could see Michael Caine having delicate feet. Mm-hmm. He has, I, think it's, I think it's a combination delicate of Clive feet. Owen having like having having hobbit feet combined with Michael Caine having like aristocrat feet.
2: <laughs> I was, was going to say that. Like, yeah. do we know... I don't know Clive Owen's background. I My friend has a theory that all British actors are insanely rich <laughs> they people. They descend from land. Yeah. That's not
1: far off
0: in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, the they have to go, because they have to go through like special acting colleges. What and it you, is? You okay. do. They A lot of time go through special acting colleges. So that was the whole thing with like Daisy Ridley and uh, John Boyega. Yeah. Where, where like, she
2: couldn't un- even understand the... Idea of privilege Yeah But she's like But she's like God, from landed. She's from like
0: landed gentry, And he was there On like a scholarship And there's a really Wide divide Yeah so there. from key group
1: In like council housing
0: Yeah but she's yeah.
2: like We both earned our way in Yeah And yeah. fully Yeah she's like I
1: don't I don't we know We had the same
2: experience Yeah we had I don't know together. what you're Saying
1: to me It's like mm, Then I guess It's a beyond the scope Of this interview To have that conversation yeah, yeah that's
2: It's yeah. gonna be longer cool. Than a and a I think <laughs> You yeah. might need to do A write through For this Yeah couple. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> might need to Me and you might need To stay in touch later Via text and just refer some reading to you. Yeah. Um, I will. I will move this into the end of the oh, movie where
0: I was just going to say. In terms of his background, Thursday recently covered him apparently, and they <laughs> described him as having 1920s brawler energy.
3: Yes. Oh yeah. So, yes. Yeah.
0: I fully uh, going off of that again. A brawler has, I feel like, mutton feet.
2: <laughs> well, I do. I do like, think like, Clive like Owen and Michael Caine come from different places. Yes. Know? Yeah, Clive Owen's got a beautiful hangdog, yeah, coolness yeah. that like his face just looks like can say a lot, but without saying a lot. And he, I think he, and yes, he has, really is. As,
1: he looks like genetically engineered Billy Eichner, yes. as <laughs> I believe. As I believe Emily Nussbaum said about him in the review she did of the first season of The Nick was that he has. Angry hair, (laughs) (laughs) and that is just one of the best, most accurate. It is angry hair. (laughs) I, I mean, that's why she has a Pulitzer, folks.
2: That's right. That's
1: that's what you. That's what a Pulitzer. (laughs) Angry hair. Can't you see it now? Just him, so forlorn, and his hair so (laughs) furious. Oh, Oh I really like that. Well, Clive and his angry hair and Key uh, advance past the the soldiers once everything kind of goes calm and lets them through, and they get into a rowboat to go out to the buoy buoy where they're supposed to meet the human project boat. And as it is arriving, basically, Clive realizes he's been shot in the gut, and he he dies slumped over in the boat. He names the baby Dylan after his uh, son who had died of the influenza epidemic and then the boat that is called Tomorrow arrives on the horizon. Yeah. And that feels like, it, it, I liked the, it was, it was interesting in the Vulture profile, uh, in the Vulture sort of look back that Abraham Reisman did of this movie, he talks about how like, you know, we don't like much like, you know, Clive, like the audience, doesn't know if the world is saved, and I instinctually, when I saw this, and even now I see that I'm like, oh, it worked. World saved. Like the boat called Tomorrow shows up and rescues Key, and I'm like, oh, good. We're in for a bright future. It might take a minute, but like we did it, guys. Did I, you guys read it? I no, think that not even remotely. Okay, okay.
2: I think that if that movie's made today we don't see the boat. No,
1: I think, yeah. no, you are a hundred percent right, I Joey. That, I think that is totally yeah, true. I felt
2: like that boat was honestly put in, in after like a test screening. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that like that scene is so set up for her to be on the rowboat out there with her baby. In the Clive, fog. You dies in the fog yeah. And you're just like, Maybe you hear like a horn.
3: Right,
1: right. And you're like, is that a foghorn just somewhere? Or is that a boat? Yeah. 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 No, I, I think you're that,
2: totally right. And I really appreciate that they showed us.
1: <laughs> I'm so <laughs> grateful. A brief
0: respite from the pain. I'm so yeah.
1: grateful. Yeah. And that it's called Tomorrow.
0: I, I still like, <laughs> even as I saw that, I was still, there was a moment where I was like, they're gonna take the baby and
1: they're gonna kill her and the baby's
0: gonna go off and they're never- that's true like, yeah, that could I, also happen there was, yeah. there was, i had no hope i was just like at the end of this i was just like everything is terrible humans are garbage and this boat is nothing but a lie
2: <laughs> i thought it was kind of a like happy ending i did I too i see it as a happy ending
1: i see it as a happy ending goes, that's where my heart goes yes.
2: bone wanted to die he did yeah, something he was done. good before he like finished but, yeah like I don't want Clive Owen right, going back to his, like, bureaucratic, terrible job at the end. Yeah, as, a, as
1: an enemy of the state at that point. No, yeah, no, he's like, not going back to work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: What, I'll, what I'll say is, like, I, he's not I don't know if we're allowed to spoiler, spoiler alert for Uncut Gems, which you should have oh. seen sure. already anyway. Yeah. yeah, you should have. That is a happy ending because Adam Sandler's character would lose all the money. Like some people need That's to very, die when they're up a million dollars. That is
1: a very <laughs> good point, point. and it gives me gives me the joy of knowing that Julia Fox was the movie's
2: hero the entire time. Oh, absolutely! Time, which it's I like she was love. left money, which is what should happen. Yes. He would have blown it. He would have destroyed You're her right. life. He would have tried to
1: make he would have tried to make that ten million dollars.
2: Yeah, if Clive Owen remained, yep. he would have got sad again about something. <laughs> yeah
1: no it's true and as you mm-hmm. said before he's trying to kill himself the entire movie yeah. like it like yeah like yo you know those will kill you well it's not you know it's it's not working um, so I think that does that bring us to the end of our reality index the only
0: other thing I want to give points to on this one in terms of reality was when they're sitting in the farmhouse in the middle of the movie Key is revealed to to Theo that she is pregnant yes all the fishes are sitting around talking and Clive Owen is like why don't we just tell people about it? This thought has never occurred to any of them before. And I was like, I a hundred percent believe that Theo would think, yeah, this is a worthwhile thing to yell. Theo is the guy in the meeting who is pitching the one thing that everyone has already been like, no,
1: that won't work. I also, it was such a real moment. I me. also love how quickly he gets batted down. Oh, he yeah. like, he leans forward and he was like, tell everybody. And then they're like, you're fucking crazy. They're going to take the baby from her. they're going to never let a refugee have the first. Baby. And yeah. he just like recedes back against, the wall and yeah. leans against it like <laughs> shit like yeah. oh he doesn't continue arguing the point at all no he's like oh good point yeah they will okay okay yeah
0: you're right. i'm yeah. very wrong yeah i was
3: <laughs> extremely wrong i
0: appreciated how deeply he was like i am so wrong yeah yeah there was never a moment where he became like the bold hero against the world he was just like oh no
1: i also love the ways in which they give you the little cues about him being sort of like a chosen one like he shows up at the compound and like dogs run up to him and the guy's like, wow, they like you, though they don't like anyone. A kitten keeps trying to crawl up his leg yeah. while he's standing there making bold assertions about what should happen with the baby. And like like things keep being drawn to him in this way. like And Jules tells Key, only trust Theo. Yeah. Only trust Theo. And like the whole time we're getting like these sort of divine cues that he is like a man apart yeah. from it's, all the badness. It's
2: that and it's also like the most beautiful but cheap plot things where it's like, <laughs> This guy could go sneak and cut the wires on the car and sneak into the car. And you're gonna always wonder reality wise, like, why didn't the dogs bark at him? And they set that up ahead of time. You know, it's like beautiful, just the like cleanest script you've ever seen. (laughs) Everything is dealt with. He's actually thought of this world and like lived in this world to write it. It's beautiful.
1: And so then that would take us into into. what is this movie really about?
2: (laughs) Who wants to go? I, th- I feel like I already went to God. So <laughs> yeah.
1: <you guys> can- <laughs> Amanda, do you want to kick it off? Yeah,
0: like mine's not going to be super. I feel like I've really peaked early on in this podcast. <laughs> I'm never going to top my moment with with Poseidon Adventure of being like it's about God. Um, I don't
1: know. Emily Browning being a horse was pretty I good. That was a really good moment. In Pompeii. Okay,
0: that's true. <laughs> um, but I think think in this case like I just kept going back to over and over and over again maybe because I've been very nihilistic lately sure but I definitely like the entire time I was watching this movie I was like this is a movie about how we don't deserve good things okay
1: like this is how we deserve our fate
0: yeah I was 100% the whole time I was like this is an entire movie about how humans deserve everything that's happening to mm-hmm. them and like this is the world we deserve and we don't deserve a baby and mm-hmm. we don't like humans dying is maybe a good thing because like the fact that even a baby shows up, everyone is shocked and they still manage to go back to war. Yes. The fact that like this baby, this creature, this thing that is new first time in 18 years and the baby and the girl who basically like her name is key. We don't know if that's her full name. We don't know anything about this girl. We know nothing
1: about her. She is a, Pawn. We know that when she knows she has a girl, she wants to name the baby Bazooka. She wants...
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's a girl's name. <laughs> yeah. That's a girl's name.
1: Bazooka. What was the other one? For, fo- uh, fuller Foley? No, no. It was like Forley? There was Forley. an R in there. It was Forley. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like initially skeptical. And then she's like, oh, Forley? And she was like, Bazooka. Forley's a boy's name. It's like, oh, right. Traditionally feminine Bazooka. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which like... But also... which unrelated but
0: there was like a whole weird there there was a weird I was like maybe that's like a family name you don't know Clive Owen like maybe <laughs> it's true we don't know because we know nothing about Key and yeah. so like it's true She's just basically this like baby making vessel who decides to strip to reveal that she's pregnant instead of just like holding up her shirt, which I was like, okay, I don't need to see her boobs, but cool. Congratulations. But I mean, she didn't then cover herself. Right. But I, it was definitely one of those moments where I was like, ah, she's I, really just a uterus. To, like she's a uterus with personality, but there was a degree to which I was like, we don't deserve key. Uh-huh. We don't deserve a baby. We kill everything good. Like, the only things that should survive in this world are the dogs, because the dogs are good. Uh Um, And maybe Jasper, because I like Jasper. (laughs) But, like, it was truly, I I came away from this movie just feeling very desolate about mankind, not in the sense of, like, oh, the world is going to end and it's going to be sad, but I was like, man, I don't know that we deserve, like, we face a global crisis Mm -hmm. and the solution is that we lock up all the refugees into literal cages yes and presumably kill a lot of them because they were all those probably peop- oh yeah, yeah they, I like, don't we, believe those people see, are going anywhere well we saw the bodies yeah we see bodies at one point and so it's just like oh cool so there's just like mass murder happening everything yeah. about this the entire movie for me was actually really this like very nihilistic humanity is fucked from our own doing and it's what we deserve
2: okay so, okay I think on that topic though I think Quaron has spent time in the like Uh, revolutionary far left Uh Mm -hmm. when he was growing up because I think he gives details of like Clive Owen being like, I was just there to get laid.
3: Yeah. yeah Which
2: I remember from my Santa Cruz days, like (laughs) the fake hardcore. Yeah. Those activists. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the activist who is maybe this is saying too much on a podcast, but (laughs) could see a young black woman as pregnant woman as like a tool for yeah. Oh, yeah, revolution yeah. Yeah. you Political know i think advantage. it was sure. like very prescient in all these ways which yes. it's kind of like yeah there this is like a very shitty window into the far left that sometimes exists mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like everyone has their own agenda in this fucked up way there is like a dehumanization at sometimes. yeah By the way, Bernie, 2020. This is not to say anything (laughs) in that sense, but like, God, like I am like all in on the on the Bernie train. All right, all right, all right. But but there are these you know windows into this dark side of it, which is like, yeah, there is there are these people who are the fishes are not
1: not Bernie Bros. Oh yeah, (laughs) not to say that all Bernie supporters are Bernie Bros, but the fishes are I, the Bernie bros. Think they are a, definitely
2: the stereotype well, of the Bernie bros. Yeah,
1: bro. like, you're, like you're more of a Jules. You're more of a Jules. <laughs> I but think
3: but I, Luke I is a Bernie
1: a, bro.
2: I, unfortunately, I think I'm a, more of a Clive Owen where oh, I am well, like good not so engaged. <laughs> 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 I wish I was more engaged. Sure, right. I've yeah, that's been.
1: more That's more like on the ground organizer aspect of it. Jules his, is but the yeah.
2: badass. We should yeah. all yeah. be Jules. Yeah,
1: no, totally, totally. She's, well, think, she stands for something. I think to your point though, like there
0: is this definitely... Calls to mind like the hypocrisy of a degree of the left and of the far left, which tends to in the same way that the far right can tend to view people as a tool and view issues as a tool yeah. versus people as a people.
1: Yeah. It's it's, the, it's, it's, it's very much the very ends justify the means.
0: Very, yeah. But also approach. getting and, and getting lost in the idea of an ideology versus getting uh, versus the actual efficacy of the ideology mm-hmm. that it's all well and good to have a certain purity to it but mm-hmm. where does the where does it play out in the same way like it's all well and good to be like well this girl is going to be the symbol of the revolution but you have no you don't care about whether or not the girl what the girl wants totally. and key very much does not want to be the symbol of a revolution she does not want to be they call it, They keep calling it the uprising. She does not want to be the symbol of the uprising. She wants to get to somewhere safe with her baby. That's mm-hmm. all she cares about. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very good point. That yeah, it is sort of this like very much what can happen in these spaces.
2: Totally. And I think the Sid. Uh-huh. Sid <laughs>
3: yeah. He, yeah. He
2: views it as an asset. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. The ice person sorry the refugee yeah yeah exa- exactly exactly yes. like he you know is viewing mm-hmm. this as this uh all right people want it on both sides i could use this baby to make some money yeah you yeah. Know? yeah
1: this is a this is a token this is a coin for me
2: yeah
1: uh i'm gonna go with i i share an optimistic view about the end of the movie and it's it's the potential for us to to survive and live on uh, but I do think that this is a movie about uh, the toxicity of whiteness. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and the inherent white supremacy built into our Western systems. Oh, for sure about white supremacy. And uh, yeah. the. Just- I think you're going
2: too hard on Charlie Hunnam's white dreads. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: yeah. There are even white folks with dreads in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the Anglo superiority of it all, the immediate vilification of refugees. And in the in the you know, when we see the refugees being sort of exported to places, we do see German folks, we see like Polish folks, mm-hmm. but like you also this is about like people who don't look like this, who are who are dirty and brown being purged from our pure British state, and that is just that's just the the um, the empire on which the sun formerly never set, mm-hmm. and of course is the mentality that extends into into many a, a Western democracy, a representative republic, including colluding our own, and acutely at this moment. So yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, this is about uh, white supremacist state terror, yeah, and the toxicity of whiteness for the yeah, children it, of
0: men. Um, going off of that Abraham Reisman uh, article, mm-hmm. he does mention in it that there is a German woman in when when she's getting sectioned when they're getting sectioned off at the um at the at the refugee camp yeah 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 a german woman does yell out basically in german um don't put me with the black people except she uses uh what is basically a german slang i believe a german slur a slur Yeah, yeah right sure um my, my understanding of it is that it's a German slur, and because it's it's very close to a Yiddish slur, ah, okay. uh, which which, well, you learn, which you learn which you learn when you're when you're a Jew,
1: yeah. Uh, so you don't there. know it's a you don't know it's a slur,
0: <laughs> and then you find out when you're an adult that it's a slur. <laughs> um, well, and that, and that, feels, are you, I, I'm looking at, are you just saying they're like running through your head right now, Joey, of like what, yeah, what Yiddish word, Joey?
1: I'll tell you later. Um, I, and that, I mean, and that fits and that seems to fit And that fits so well in the larger aspect too, I think of, of the idea of, of the toxicity of whiteness too, because even in those mm-hmm. desperate situations, so people, yeah. people of a supremacist bent, are even going to, in the the throes of being cast out, imprisoned, probably just lined up to be shot yeah. and fall into a mass grave, are going to be like, well, no, I'm not one of them. Yeah, It's like, you're all in this cage together. Are you kidding me right now? Uh, yeah, that that feels like a very, that feels like it really underscores what I'm saying. Here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that, wow. I think we did some great work here. On oh this. my gosh. But does that then bring us to dream casting? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say that at the outset, I don't have a Dreamcast because I don't want to take this away from anybody who's in the movie, particularly Clive Owen, who, as you said, Joey, where'd where, you go, Clive? Where
2: did you go, Clive? Where would you go? I had to look him up on my way over yeah. here to figure out what he's doing next, and he's a supporting role in a miniseries starring Julianne Moore, which I'm Seriously? very excited about. Right. Well,
3: I Clive,
0: did not expect. I hope it's, the loop I hope it's to some sort of ping pong movie.
2: It should be a ping pong movie. It should be absolutely romantic and <laughs> mm-hmm. beautiful. Unfortunately, it's a Stephen King book. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Naturally. It's their turn. It's
2: Lizzie's story, I think it's called. Okay. But
1: I will do de- so I will defer to you guys on Dreamcasting, and I will actually sit and I will pencil down a few things as you speak because I do I, I'll like I'll make an American version of it. Oh Ooh. I don't wanna oh. Yeah. I, I don't wanna that. impeach anything about this version of the movie because mm-hmm. that I don't want to it had a hard enough time already mm-hmm. being not greeted well upon release. So I, I, but I do want to for fun, try and work something out. So please continue. Oh, you please um, start. yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I,
0: you know what? The only thing I would love to see as much as I love uh, Clive Owen in this, um, and I have a real soft spot for Clive Owen because I watched the movie closer like a million times when I was in college. Cause it was on NYU's movie channel if for like you a were, year.
1: There's like a two year window where if you watched closer, at like a, sp- like a two-year age range. I didn't like range. it. I did it, not like but it. But it indelibly affected you. No, the whole I time it- fucking love
0: Closer. I of co- ah, did not enjoy <laughs> oh, it. Oh, yes. I did, not, I did not like it, but NYU <laughs> had like a movie channel did where not. if you turn on like channel one on your TVs, mm-hmm. we had a closed circuit and they would just air oh like God, the same one. three movies over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, for like my, the entirety of my sophomore year, it was Closer. <laughs> and every time I turned on my television that is and Closer wild. would be on and it was always the scene where Natalie Portman is stripping for Clive it's Owen. It always no matter where when deli-
1: somebody turns on that movie
0: in the middle the it is the scene where she's delivering the Natalie monologue Portman about being Jupiter scene. and like there was a point in my in my amazing. sophomore amazing. There was a point in my sophomore year where I could recite that whole monologue cuz I would just turn it on on I'd be How like well, now it I every
1: want. time how
0: is
2: Are it you sure it's a closed circuit and not. Just it was just the that one episode. <laughs> right there. And it
1: might be I have
0: never seen the beginning of Closer. Like to this day, I have only seen like two thirds of that movie. And I just like and every time I would watch it, I'd be like, This is not the Mike Nichols movie I want to be watching. But I wouldn't stop. So but like I loved Clive Owen in that, even as I watched it, it was like, this is not a movie I'm enjoying, but okay. I do love Clive Owen. Got it. But that being said, as I was watching it, there was a degree to which, as the like liberal feminist Liz Warren lover that I am, yeah, um, Warren twenty twenty, Warren twenty
2: twenty, I'm okay with that and you too. you know what? That's give, fine. Just give me
1: the give me the joint ticket. Sanders Warren Warren
0: Sanders, <laughs> that is just
2: fine. give it to me. Yeah. yeah, I am totally okay with that. Yes. Anyone but did you guys Biden see the Bloomberg? oh
0: god <laughs> damn it. no?
2: Actually, Buddha judge too.
0: <laughs> oh, he's yeah.
2: and He's British. major OK Boomer energy <laughs> oh on Pete God.
3: Buttigieg. Like Pete Jake Buttigieg. scares me.
1: The, the, the child's doll who's been hexed. Yeah. I mean, Louis Rattel, one of the great presences on social media, as he tweeted at the last debate, like, I don't remember the preface for it, but he's like, I would love to see Liz Warren look down the line and look at Pete Buttigieg's and say, my sneaky fucking nephew down there. <laughs> And yes. I was like, yes, yes. that is a hundred percent. my friend uh-huh. was like, yeah, Pete Buttigieg's definitely like told on his brother when mm. his parents got home and was like, Mike had five chocolate
0: bars. <laughs>
3: like,
1: fuck you, Pete.
3: Yeah. Pete Buttigieg Smitch. was the guy
1: who like wanted to be the RA, but the other
0: RAs yes.
3: were like, no, you cannot. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he was, he was a Hall
2: monitor. All he right. Was, so yeah. fantasy casting. Oh,
3: right, right, right. I want,
2: yeah. I want uh, Clive Owen's cousin, be played by Tom Steyer and oh. his son to be played by Pete Buttigieg. Yeah,
3: no, I like that.
2: <laughs> Problem solved. Pete, yeah. take
1: your medicine. <laughs> Pete, Pete.
0: <Yeah. laughs> you know that Beto absolutely sees Tom, himself Tom as Theo, wasn't but he's even not thinking,
1: thinking about
2: it. Oh, wasn't yeah. even
1: thinking about it.
2: Beto was definitely in the punk scene to get laid, <laughs> <laughs> not for the progressive politics.
0: I straight up forgot that he was running for that he had run for president until I was behind a car that had a Beto um, bumper sticker, and I was like, wow. "That is a, a that choice. is a shooting star to, to just tie Beto, yourself Beto's to." Beto's got to
1: be
2: just chilling at this point, right? Yeah, he yeah, literally, doing, doing, he literally doing could have been in on government. He could yeah. have been in government for the rest of his life, and he decided to run for president. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. and so it, he
1: has he's he married very well, so he's doing fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Did he? Wait, I want yeah. to know everything. Yeah, his, about his that. wife.
1: His wife's family is like very, very,
0: very.
3: So very a John, oh, he's John. A Tom, John Kerry. Yes, I was about to yeah. say she's <laughs> Teresa
0: Hyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Great work. But yes,
0: continue on. Continue oh, on. <laughs> um, so yeah. So given my love for Clive Owen, like it's tough for me to want to. The only thing I, as I was watching it though, and I was like, white dude saving the black girl is really boring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there is a movie that is really interesting that is basically Julianne Moore's character trying to get this girl to safety mm-hmm. but not Ju- like we're julian not Julian moore's character but a wo- I think a woman trying to get that girl to safety is interesting because it tackles a bunch of other things like what happens when you're trying to get this girl to safety mm-hmm. who has the thing that you want
3: mm-hmm.
0: um and so that was uh. interesting and then i was like but i actually but i'm not that's a whole other movie and so then what i settled on though was that i going off of how you you know true believer that you love she would tell edgy of four I actually would love to see him in Clive
1: Owens' part. Uh, no, he that totally be, ran through my mind just now. No, that's yeah. a great point.
0: Like, I just, he has such tender eyes. Um oh, yeah. And there's so much, like, he can do pain so well. And I think that seeing him, it would be a very different performance in Clive Owens. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a more, I think, but I think that it would have been a really interesting character and a really interesting take on what is otherwise very much like a film noir sort of, Antihero that is Theo mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I would have loved to have seen that and then you can have Clive you can just roll swap and have Clive Owen be be Luke and have Chi, um, Chiwetel be be Theo and mm-hmm. that's really the I loved Michael Kane. yeah he's I, so as, good as Jasper he's like so what good. a fun like his calling c- calling theo amigo over and over again i was like what a weird <laughs> affect and i love it i don't care like that is a choice that you have to make every time you say that word you have to think the word and then choose that's not like calling someone dude where it just comes out and you're like i don't know why i
2: call my dog dude and i've never heard a british amigo before never
0: It's great. loved it every time <laughs> loved loved him repeatedly like Getting people to smoke the strawberry cough weed and then like taking oh them he through. loved that he loved that like everything about that character rang very true and I mm-hmm. loved Michael Caine having a great fucking time with it, um but th- so that is really the only change I would make, um to that, okay. otherwise keep it. I honestly I'm surprised that we haven't dreamcast Julianne Moore and more things.
1: I know <laughs> that's I just get so hung up on Agent Maggie Grace. I I we, I
0: mean <laughs> like when you think of our sort of like. Delicately boned women in our in our pantheon. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they haven't how she hasn't slipped in there yet. Delicately
3: boned. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Women with delicate bones.
2: All right. High Fidelity's out recently. Let's hear your top five delicately boned women.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I can knock that one out
0: for this podcast right now. That's an easy one. We've got Laura Linney, <laughs> Laura Dern, the Lord. Laura the, Laura Linney again, Laura Dern again, and now Julianne Moore.
2: Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I guess so we could take out like Laura Linney a second time and put in
1: Agent Maggie Grace. Take out Laura
2: Linney a second time. <laughs> Wow, that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. Okay. All right, Jordan, are you ready? All
1: right, for my like American remake of this. I love that conceit. Go. I'm going to, I'm going to make uh, Jules Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay.
2: Mm. Is this Michelle Pfeiffer in 2006 or Michelle Pfeiffer now? Present. Okay. Yeah, still
1: delicately boned.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, indeed.
1: (laughs) Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm going to make uh, as I as I tend to do. I'm going to make this uh, queer. And I'm mm. going to make Theo, Regina King.
3: Mm. Oh. And okay. they're
1: going to have been wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to make... Uh, key is going to be Teona Parrish of uh, Feel Beale Street Could Talk and the oh. upcoming Candyman remake. There was such a softness, an unbelievable softness to her in If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, I feel like that would work very well here. And then I'm going to make Luke diego luna okay i'm going to make luke diego luna i would trust diego luna so it's perfect yeah i would trust him he has that intense he has that rogue one intensity to him soldier in the heat of battle um loves yeah, yabba those the little, Hutt. those what was that <laughs> loves yabba the Hutt. <laughs>
3: yeah
1: that that's gonna be my that's gonna be my like other side mm-hmm. of when we're gonna make it in the United States remake.
2: I thought you were definitely picking Adrian Brody for the Clive Owen oh American Clive Oh
1: my god, Owen. that would be. I feel like I <laughs> they would. They have put, a similar
2: hangdog mm. situation. I feel going like
1: on. I could put him in the capacity of uh, Danny Houston's character and have him mm. be like some eccentric mm. rich
2: guy living in a tower. I don't know what is Adrian Brody's up to either. Adrian
1: Brody uh, might currently be dating Harvey Weinstein's ex wife, Georgina Chapman.
2: Oh, I saw that.
1: That yeah. might be true. Mm. We can't, I, you know, it was like a page six kind of thing. I don't yeah. want to say, say it as fact. but That's where yeah.
2: we're cutting the, yeah. drawing the line yeah. on our fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Reality index on that. Yeah. Uh, so then I guess that brings us to how many towering infernos out of five do you give children of men?
2: Please, you start. Yeah, Amanda Tell started me, off. Yeah, give me the structure.
1: <laughs> mm,
0: okay. Um. So this is tough because I've been listening. So I've been doing our letterboxed profile. Uh, oh, yeah, profile. yeah. So I've been going back through and actually like... Actually
1: logging our, our scores for Yeah, actually
0: movie. keeping track of what our our Towering Infernos for things are. And um, I most recently did our Towering Infernos for The Wave, mm-hmm. which we both gave fives. Yep. And at the time, we both were like, this feels almost like a gimme because it's such an actively good movie. Right, yeah. And that's what was tough. But rating it on its own merits as a disaster movie... yes. It gets a five because of how good it executes that. Are
1: you talking about Children of Men?
0: No. Um, the oh, wave. yeah, yeah. Like, we both, we all kind of agreed that based on how well it executes the Conceit of Disaster movies. Yes. And then also stands on its own, we gave it fives. Mm-hmm. So, puzzling through that for me with Children of <laughs> Men.
1: Puzzling through.
0: Well, because it's like, it's tough because it's an actively, like, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's not great saying children of men gets a five and then like airplane versus volcano gets a 1.5. That's like, yeah, no shit. Airplane versus yeah. volcano gets a 1.5 sure. compared to children of men. Um, but then like Congo, which we've given, I think fours to mm-hmm. children of men gets, a five. it's, it's a very so what tough, is it?
3: sorry, what are you doing?
0: I'm, I'm working <laughs> through it. I wasn't sure. I thought I was like all day at work. Today. I was like, I'll know the answer when I come to it. I think I'm going four. okay. I think I'm going four cause it's a really good movie um there are parts of the world that i at the end of the day as a disaster movie would like to know more about but mm-hmm. also felt unconvinced by okay mm.
1: uh, five yeah because it i mean it, it is a great movie legitimately but also it is it like san andreas is such a rolling series of catastrophes throughout the movie that keep me so engaged at just an adrenaline level and even and yet like the specter of disaster in an existential and literal sense hangs over you so completely throughout the entirety of the film that I was sitting there uh, like my roommate walked in while I was watching it. And I was like, I'm, I i have not watched this in years. I was like, and I know how it ends, but every minute of this is fucking harrowing. <laughs> yep. Like every minute of it feels like it might be the last scene of humanity. It feels like it could all be over any second. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, to have, to be in the sort of aftermath of a disaster in a nebulous form that sort of hit people, invisibly and then irrevocably change the world forever like i feel like that disaster is is constantly existing and unfolding and ever present and so for that i mean the immersive quality and ability to like again like you said with julian moore expect her to live like yep. this movie keeps you on your toes so much it's like maybe i can change the outcomes if i just <laughs> wish for it enough <laughs> because yep. it, you're so invested and it means so much so i gotta give it, i gotta give it five
2: i'll give it I'll split the difference. And
1: I tend to be generous. So yeah.
2: Yeah. I'll yeah. split the difference of the four and a half. Um, because, all right. All right. because I Cooler absolutely heads love this prevail. movie. I think this is one of the my favorite movies. Rewatching uh-huh. it. I was like blown away. I think that it's a disaster movie in the way that like a monster movie where you never see the monster yeah. is a monster movie. Yes, yes. Which is Like the The Invisible
1: Man, which is really good and in theaters now.
2: I love that But that's like the most frightening thing is to not see Mm -hmm. the monster the whole time. But we never see the monster, which Mm -hmm. is why I can't give it a five. Okay. There's never the tidal wave. Mm -hmm. There's never the mass death. (laughs) There's never that part of the disaster. But instead, it's like, you're just like, fuck, something terrible happened. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. But I know everyone is living with it. But I think... You know, I never saw the Hoover Dam blow up. <laughs> yeah.
1: There was, there was never the Hoover Dam never cracked into pieces. And let
2: me tell you a, the geology. Never, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: There was not bad survival advice in this movie. No, I I respect mm-hmm. your your being more discerning than I am. And Jason, Jason's coming in. Jason, we are short a mic on him tonight. But he's given it a full five fingers up for for a rating. He's going five towering infernos, all right, <laughs> and, a, and a fist bump to chase it. <laughs> so yeah, that 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 leaves a, a good high score for. I'm sorry, the once uh, neglected children of men. You've mm-hmm. been given your due today on the Disaster <laughs> Girls podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. This was a absolute exciting moment. <laughs> My moment as a disaster yeah. girl. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. We should give
3: out
1: like t-shirts or like crowns
0: You're right, for disaster yeah. divas. Participation who've been, trophies.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right, Amanda, do you want to introduce the extravagant title of next week's episode?
0: Do I? All right, guys. Hunt or be hunted with the upcoming movie, <laughs> Into the Grizzly Maze. What? Oh. A 2015 thriller starring you will not this believe cast. this. This cast. This is really shocking, honestly. Uh James Marsden. Yes. Thomas Jane. Yeah. Piper Perabo. Keep and here's going. here's the real wild card on this one. Billy Bob Thornton honestly makes the most ah.
1: sense in a grizzly movie.
0: <laughs> I just it's such a shocker where you're just like how did how did none of us know that these people came together to make a movie? Mm-hmm. Oh. It is available. <laughs> it is available on Amazon, you can rent on iTunes, Google Play, or on voodoo. Okay, great. So next week guys we'll be back for into the grizzly maze. Or just
2: Venmo you guys. We're <laughs> yeah,
3: 99, just and we'll cash give you the rundown. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Joey, thank you so much for coming on. Um, what do you, so promote, fun. Yeah, what um, do you want to promote, Joey? Yeah, promote again. What do you want to promote? Where can we two reels? find you? That's
0: what right. are the if things you, you're on?
2: If you like me on a movie podcast, yep. me and my buddies Rod and Davey have a movie podcast we just started called Two Reels mm-hmm. where we take a movie in theaters and give it the ideal double feature.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Our good friend Jordan was on our Oscar special.
1: Yep, you can you can hear me uh uh, it's basically, subtweeting Joey in my recommendation <laughs> for what one should pair with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
2: That's right. If you subscribe to the Disaster Girls Patreon, you can hear <laughs> me and Jordan argue about hustlers for four straight hours. <laughs> Wait,
3: what are we arguing about? What are we going to argue about? Joey <laughs> doesn't love
2: hustlers. <laughs> I <don't> what? Love <laughs>
3: hustlers. <laughs>
0: Jordan, you let someone who doesn't love hustlers on this podcast? This is why I went on this his podcast. podcast. This is a hustlers household. Excuse me. <laughs> a, this is why in my, my went on good, good Christian, Christian home. <laughs> <laughs> In
1: this house we stand. <laughs> Do
0: you know what I have in my mezuzah? I don't have like a sacred saying inside my mezuzah. I have the entirety of the script of Hustlers shrunk <laughs> <dropping> down <laughs> on a, a grain, grain of rice, <laughs> put into my mezuzah so that every time I walk through my door, I can bind that as a sign That's between right. my eyes. Just kiss
1: it while you're going by. <laughs> yeah. That's why I went on his podcast and and promoted Hustlers. Okay, so, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, what is the, can you tell the folks at home the uh, big story that you just wrote? for? The, oh, sure. The New York
2: Times yeah, guys? I also freelance to pay bills because podcasting ain't paying bills yet. No, <laughs> goddammit. But uh, I just wrote a story about the ultra runner, Jim Walmsley, who's America's best ultra runner. God and he's damn. running his first ever marathon this Saturday, I oh, guess. Oh, wow, okay. February 29th wow. in the Olympic trials. And if he finishes top three, he'll make the Olympic Games and... That'll be a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. that, the, Fine,
1: coming to you uh, on Disney Plus, adapted by Joey Bean
2: Exactly. It was in the yes. New York Times Magazine and we headlined it the long shot because he should not make the team. <laughs> but if he does make the team, this is incredible. So watch on Saturday if this is out by Saturday. And, and
1: did we and, and did no you say pressure. where we can find you on, on social?
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm at J-B-I-E-N-K-A-H-N. Mm-hmm. That's J Mm-hmm. And it's a very mediocre Twitter, but follow me, please.
1: <laughs> I, I think I'm a great Twitter. You
0: are. Jordan, where can we find your great tweets? You I do write I great have, great great tweets. have a great
1: Twitter feed, despite the fact that Amanda muted me for a while. Accidentally <laughs> muted you. Accidentally. <laughs> Accidentally.
0: Subscribe to the
2: Patreon. Yeah, and and hear and all about me it.
3: for a while. That was
1: an
0: accidental muting because God knows, <laughs> I talked to you, like that wouldn't have been a choice
1: I would have made because I, I, you're yeah, one, one of the few people funny. who I constantly want. <laughs> want to be in contact yeah with and, and right re- we regularly are um mm-hmm. but yeah you can find me at jorker j-o-r-c-r-u
0: i am at amanda r Tubbs. that's tubs with two b's jason <laughs> is jason Halftones. yes um on all the social things you can find a uh, disaster we're disaster underscore pod on twitter we are disaster girls at gmail.com We are now Disaster Girls on Letterboxd, if you understand (laughs) how Letterboxd works, which I'm still figuring out. (laughs) Um, But we do have, like, you can see our... So I I did create a profile for us. You can see all the movies that we have covered, what our ratings for them were, (laughs) as well as, like, a few kind of choice blurbs about explaining each of our individual ratings Mm -hmm. Uh, we have lists of movies that we have upcoming we have lists of different podcast things so check that out engage with us please if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast rate it review it Share it with your friends. Share stars, it with your five loved ones. Yeah, five stars, five stars. <laughs> I think we said. I just. I had said before, like, if you want to write a review and just want to write, Disaster Girls is, and then just use your auto complete. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah, for it. Go for it. I don't care. Just give us that good, sweet content we all want. Yes, please. Um, and we'll see you guys all back next week for Into the Grizzly Maze. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
2: thatmightbecool.com you never know